oh my god this isn't what i thought it was uh and then i start to get burned out and it's very easy and i was that i was that person i went from burning out in the corporate world taking a few months off and then working seven days a week 12 hours a day trying to to get myself back to a point where i was earning enough revenue to survive Welcome to episode 41 of Give Yourself Some Leeway with me, your host, Eugene Lee. Every seasoned professional, business owner or entrepreneur has always taken pride in having a high performance workplace culture or has dreamed of cultivating one. But what does it mean to have a high performance work culture? Today, I am joined by Jimmy Burrows, a leadership coach who's recently written a book, Beat Burnout, ignite performance which is all about not letting your team burn out because it can really hold back the growth of your team he has this framework called the paste framework that helps you identify whether your workplace culture is focused on growth or burning out so i really hope that you find the same value in today's conversation with jimmy as i have and please let me know you can reach me on instagram at eugene.leeway you can book a call with me on giveyourselfsomeleeway.com or shoot me an email, eugene at leeway.ie. Thank you, and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jimmy Burroughs. Jimmy, welcome to Give Yourself Some Leeway. Um, it's great to have you here on the show. Thanks, Eugene. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. Of course, yeah. Um, I, I think one thing that I always like to start out with, especially when I'm talking to coaches here, is that we follow a similar pattern uh, that we tend to hit rock bottom at some point in our life. And it's from that rock bottom, there's a turning point that brings us to self-recovery, growth and development. And somewhere along that recovery journey, we get a spark or a vision that makes us want to help others. And whether that be part of our growth and development that we want to serve others, or maybe we just don't want other people to feel the pain that we went through or to experience the depth that we experienced. So what was that like for you? And why is it that you do what you do? That's a wonderful opening question. Thank you. You know, if I if I go back in time a little bit to my previous life before I ended up doing what I do now, I was a GM in an organization, a reasonably large organization in New Zealand, running a, a very busy team operating in 26 countries. Uh, and the I was new to the industry when I joined that role. And so I'd had this kind of very intensive learning curve to understand how the industry operated, how the team operated, how the business operated and how the operating model fitted together. And about a year into that role, the unfortunately, the legislative environment that we we're operating in shifted uh, alongside the kickoff of a significant number of transformation projects in the organization, whether that be the way we acquired customers point blank from so entirely outsourcing the process to a new organization who would take care of customer acquisition for us um, but having to do all the handover sort of preparation and processing whether that be restructuring the team to meet the new legislative environment whether that be the increased revenue pressure um, and a variety of other things whilst traveling 10 days out of 14 living out of hotels moving cities every night uh, and trying to do an MBA so I was really kind of in this um what would you call it? Cha chaotic 
tempestuous world that a lot of the things are outside of my control. Um, but I was driven by this absolute necessity to do a good job. And so if we kind of move forward through history, uh, I reached a point in 2017 where um, I burned out. I just could not do any more. You know, I, I got to the point where I was struggling to wake up in the morning, wondering what the point of all my effort was, um, really feeling pretty negative about all the hard work that was going in. And was it was it actually you know, what was there any purpose to it? Um, feeling like everything we did was like opening a can of worms full of cans of worms. Uh, so everything we touched was just like, oh my God, this is more broken than we thought it was. So very negative kind of outlook on life. A lot of my colleagues were leaving. Uh, so the the tribe that I had built from myself and around me, a lot of them were becoming very disengaged and decided to, to leave. So the people that my, were my allies left. Uh, I was basically going from meeting to meeting, starting at seven in the morning, finishing about seven o'clock at night, then starting my job uh, when I'm working through sort of 2 a.m. in the morning most days. And, and so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for fun, for doing other things. And there certainly wasn't a lot of opportunity for recharging the batteries. And I, as I burned out, I took you know, a couple of months off to sort of reset what I was going to do with my life. And then I ended up on a two-year exploration of Latin America. And it was during that time that I built what has now become uh, our business and our program ways of working. But it was really trying to understand why did I burn out? What were the things that led me there? What were the factors that um, could be systemized or calibrated in some sort of way? And then starting to help other people who were on the road with me to understand their own situations and help them. And what we often say with people who are digital nomads is they're either running away from something or running towards something. And the, the people I met while I was traveling through Latin America, gradually building a business were generally burned out themselves looking desperately for something new looking to reinvent themselves looking for a new opportunity or looking for a, you know a challenge and so it was trying to work out how do we how do we how do we help some people to prevent the things that the emotional heartache the exhaustion the fatigue the the sadness that i went through and gradually that became a consulting product ways of working and became a book and because become a podcast uh, which is all designed around how do we beat burnout and how do we ignite and build a high-performance culture in organizations? That's very good. I think, especially when you mentioned digital nomads there as well, um, I think a lot of people, when they become, let's say they, they leave the nine-to-five routine and they become digital nomads and they want to, let's say, work remotely and start their own businesses and the likes, um, I, I think from, uh, from, from what I've seen, a lot of people leave that nine to five because they've probably burnt out and then they start this entrepreneurial journey to follow their passion project, but they bring that burnout cycle with them into this new venture. So they leave that nine to five that burnt them out. And next thing they start this entrepreneurial journey following their passion, but they're probably working a hundred hours a week. They have no downtime at all. And they, yeah. and, and they end up burning themselves out again. And next thing they're wondering, why did I leave the job in the first place? Well, I thought I was following my passion. I thought that I would enjoy every single hour and all the energy that I put into it. Why am I finding myself burnt out again? hundred mm percent. -hmm. I, I, you know, we have a habit as human beings to seek out problems. Um, even if I was to put you on a, you know, 
a beautiful desert island with all of the things you needed in the world, you'd still find problems, right? So we are hardwired to find problems. We also have a spectacular ability to repeat patterns until we learn the lesson. And so you're completely right. You know, a lot of people leave the nine to five in pursuit of freedom and um, all these things that they're, and I'm going to make a difference in the world that I couldn't do when I was in the corporate structure. And and that's fantastic. You might be able to, but equally, if you haven't, and, and I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, maybe the framework that we have is actually a great way for entrepreneurs to start a business as well. Start with purpose. Um, and do you understand your your purpose? Do you understand the purpose of the product or the service that you're offering? Does your audience understand the purpose of it? And, and so on and so on. But it really is a case of, yeah, you know, I was meeting digital nomads before being a digital nomad was really a thing. This is pre-COVID before you know remote working became the norm. So it was a it was a marginalized or a, an innovative forward thinking group. But they were often on that kind of, I just want to get away from the corporate nine to five. I want to get away from the grind. But then you find yourself in this pattern of, well, I need to make money. I need to make revenue. I need to make sales. Oh, I'm responsible for the finance and the taxes as well. Oh, and I've got to do some advertising and marketing. Oh my God, this isn't what I thought it was. Uh, and then I start to get burned out. And it's very easy. And I was, the, I was that person. I went from burning out in the corporate world, taking a few months off, and then working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, trying to, to get myself back to a point where I was earning enough revenue to survive. So when it comes to, let's say, uh, as, as you said, you have your entrepreneurs and you have and your digital nomads and the like, uh, I suppose they're, let's say, leaders, uh, the, same, the same way that you work with leaders in the workplace. Uh, these people are the founders, they're the CEOs of their own business, their own their own passions. And uh, I think this comes back to, as you said, uh, it's trying to find downtime. So what do you feel are the let's say the different ways that um, different personalities or traits that come up in leaders and founders and entrepreneurs that affect their ability to actually take downtime for themselves? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I probably can't speak to the founders and entrepreneurs as, as they're not, they don't tend to be the people I work with. Um, we tend to work more with, seven to 12 figure businesses so larger organizations but I, and i can definitely talk to that and i'm sure some of them will be overlaps but if i if i talk about it from a sort of senior leader perspective one of the things we we see that steals leaders downtime is what um we call them downtime devils essentially and there's a number of them the first one would be the always on leader so these are the leaders that they're putting in, you know, 60, 80, 100 hours a week because they think that's the right thing to do because they have to make a difference and because they're super driven. And they believe that working those excessive hours are either necessary or that they're obliged to, they're the obligation that they have as a leader in the organization. In reality, what we see is that after about 60 hours a week, your performance drops quite significantly. And if you're a leader who's consistently overworking, what it actually demonstrates is a lack of prioritization. It demonstrates a lack of leadership capability to delegate potentially. And it's maybe you're trying to do everything, not the right things. So those leaders who can't find downtime because they just, I'm, I always have to answer emails and I always have to be available and the world can't survive without me. It's about taking a step back and thinking, well, am I actually doing the right stuff in the right way? Or is there another way of leading and thinking? And there will be always, of course, of course, instances where 
potentially you know you're short-staffed or there's not enough people in the team or there's an extra project going on that's just ramping up your energy levels but you shouldn't be consistently working like that with what we see in organizations now three and a half years people have been going at this pace now it's too much it's for too long um there'll be sprints absolutely but it shouldn't be sustained so that, that's the first downtime devil is is the always on leader then we see another one um, that lacks downtime, which is the, I want to be strategic, but I'm just so busy. And I've always got, I've got all these things I really want to do that are going to make a big difference to the world. But actually, I can never find time to do them because I'm stuck in the trivia and the, and the noise of um, the operation. And I, I had a, I've got a really good story about this, that we, we worked with a very large organization, a um, multi-billion dollar business. And the leaders that we were working with, you know, each of them had several thousand people working for them. So they're equivalent of a CEO of a, a normal sized organization. And we said to them, um, what we'd like you to do is to take a notebook and pen and leave your phone behind, leave your laptop behind and just go sit in a cafe or a bar or a restaurant or a park or just be away from your workspace for about 45 minutes once a week. And just to, to set context, these new leaders were being onboarded. So they'd just stepped into these senior executive roles and they were learning the organization, learning their new role and starting to get their heads around what they were meant to do. And this, the passion here was, I have to be strategic. You know, I'm a senior leader now. I've got a big job and I have to make a difference. And we were saying, take 45 minutes out. And we saw this really amusing divergence of the participants in the program. Um, the first half of them said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a crack. And they went off and started doing it. The other half you know, laughed in my face, basically, and said, no, there's no way I've got time to do that. You know, I, I'm waking up at five in the morning. I've got 3,000 emails a day. I've, there's no way I can find 45 minutes once a week. We fast forward over a 12-month window, and we looked at the data in terms of how have those leaders been performing? What's their EBIT? So how much profit is their business making? How many people have um, left their team? How many of them have survived the year? And what we'd seen as we've been checking in through the year is that gradually some people had dropped off the program. Some people had said, oh, actually, I've started doing this because I heard of the good things about it. But we saw this massive divide in performance between the ones that are taking the 45 minutes and the ones that hadn't. And most of the ones that hadn't were burning out or had left the business or weren't performing. Most of the ones that had taken the 45 minutes were highly engaged, highly energized, focused and performing. And so we said, well, what are you doing in those 45 minutes? Like we'd given them some coaching cues, obviously, but we asked them, what do you do? And they said, well, sometimes I just sit and daydream. And sometimes I'll just scribble. Sometimes I'll just write a list for myself. Sometimes I'll think about something that I had been meaning to get to, but I never quite, I never quite get time. So I leave it till my 45 minutes and I write a note for myself. And it was interesting because this turned into the research that I um, became the in in the downtime chapter of the book came became the difference between what we call the task processing network and the default mode network. So these are like two TV channels in your brain um, and you can't watch both channels at once. You can either be on one channel or the other channel. And the task processing network is the one where you are solving problems and dealing with challenges and really cognitively loading yourself. The default mode network is the thing that gives you the good ideas when you're in the shower and when you're dreaming and looking out the window as you wash the dishes and suddenly you have that strategic moment where you're like, this is the clarity I needed. It's that daydreaming time. 
And the 45 minutes that we gave those leaders was that moment where all the pieces that they were kind of in the middle of the tree suddenly organized themselves and lined up. And we ended up with a, uh, a clarity of purpose and a clarity of mind that allowed them to go and solve problems more effectively. So that was the, the I'm, I want to be more strategic, but I'm too busy. We'll take 45 minutes out and you'll be less busy, uh, ironically. The um, the third one that we came across from a downtime devil perspective was the substance user or abuser. And, you know, we it sound immediately with kind of the, the connotation of that is drug addict or whatever. But actually, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you fuel yourself on caffeine, that's a substance, right? If you're finishing your day and you can't get a bed or wind down without a glass or a bottle of wine or whiskey, um, then that's a substance. And, and what we see is a lot of leaders who are medicating on um, substances that cause them some real challenges. And it might not feel like they're challenges initially, but you become dependent. So you become dependent on caffeine and you can't function until you have it. You become dependent on alcohol and you can't wind down until you have it. And actually what that does is it robs you of the restorative properties of your own brain so um actually caffeine is the chemical equivalent of robbing peter to pay paul um you're basically switching off the tiredness receptors in your brain so you don't rest you just push harder and then you've used that energy from later so you're you're even tireder so you use more caffeine alcohol prevents you sleeping properly um has massive physiological and neuroscientific effects and so again not a good thing if you're trying to increase your downtime and I could go on for hours about these, but the, the, there's a couple more and I'll just quickly skip through them. Um, the, 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 the next one is that I forgot my healthy habits. So downtime is like, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to go to the gym, do yoga, meditate, work out, eat healthy. I'll just eat takeaways and, and sleep, eat and work. And look, we've all found ourselves there uh, at times. So that's reasonably good. The, the concern with this one is you end up in a spiral of sugar highs, essentially. Um, and you put on weight. And as you put on weight, that means the impact of stress hormones impacts you even more. And the final one is the, is the superhero leader. So this is the leader that believes that they are the only one who can solve all the problems. They have to have all the answers. Um, they're a failure if they don't have the solution. And again, that steals all your downtime, right? Because you're the one that's on call at the weekends, in the nights, when something goes wrong. You're the one that gets the phone call. You're the one that gets the text. And you never have the ability to actually switch off. So again, it's about stepping back and thinking, well, what do I need to do differently as a leader that's going to allow me to take a weekend, a vacation, some time off um, and not be available? How do I set my team up so they can actually achieve the things I want them to achieve by developing them to be more capable problem solvers for themselves? Yeah, I think definitely some of the aspects that you covered there, especially, let's say, the default mode, uh, take, taking the downtime for default mode. I've seen it so much where people are like, oh, I, I've been stuck on this problem for days It's all, and they're not getting any other work done because they're so focused on that one problem. And I just remind them of default mode. I'm like, do you remember that time you had the crossword and there's that one word you just can't remember and it comes to you a week later in the shower? And it's like that whatever that nine letter words that you couldn't yeah, find it. You couldn't even Google it. <laughs> you couldn't find it. And it, it just comes up when you're in the shower. It's like that was somewhere in the back of my head all this time. Or you're watching, you're watching TV and you see an actor and you're like, I know him from some other TV show. And you're trying to Google it, you're trying to find whatever TV show it is, but you can't find it. Next thing about a month later, even you're like, oh yeah, it, of, of course it was that. And But it, it's some things that are constantly, it, it just they're in the back of your head. They're, they're processing. The information is there. It's just 
uh, tucked away in a folder somewhere that uh, an unnamed folder, but it will find its, itself eventually. And uh, it's about just taking that downtime. And as you said, you had people daydreaming, maybe just scribbling, and it, it's just that creative side of your brain just wakes up. Um, for me, I, I, I usually go for maybe a walk or maybe sometimes it's when I'm in, in the gym. Uh, something that I'm not even thinking about. It's just in the back of my head. It could be from a week ago. And I'm like, you know what? That's a good idea. That's that's actually a good way of solving that problem I was having with, with that colleague. And um, and then, as again, where you mentioned uh, substance abuse, I found a lot of people that fall into the cycle of um, they're drinking buckets of coffee uh, to try and stay awake. And they're they see coffee as it's kind of kind of like a health potion that you see in in uh in games. It's like oh, it's it's instant energy, and as they're like, it's just a plus one on 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 energy when I need it, and they don't see the negative side effect. And and next thing they try to combat that negative side effect with like, okay, I'm getting jittery, I can't fall asleep at night. I'm gonna take something to help me fall asleep, whether that be like sleeping tablets or melatonin, and or maybe again a a a little. A tibble of whiskey or something and they fall into that pattern and that's what helps them fall asleep they wake up in the morning they have a headache and it's like okay first thing in the morning i take a paracetamol to get rid of that headache that i have from the night before maybe i just haven't had enough sleep uh i need to have that paracetamol in the morning and then have my coffee and and they just fall into that cycle where it becomes a habit it's like okay uh first thing in the morning have to take my paracetamol so that i won't have a headache have to take my coffee so that I'll stay awake. And at night before I go to bed, I have to have my whiskey or my wine so that I, it will help me fall asleep. And it's just a vicious cycle where if they cut out all three of those things, they'll no longer need them or cut back on those things. It's like they're no longer enjoying their coffee. They're no longer mm. enjoying their alcohol. It's become a necessity. Yeah, and it, and they, they fall into that vicious cycle of the negative it. effects. Yeah. Hundred percent, and you know what? When I, the thing, probably the biggest eye opener for me when I was traveling through Latin America with a lot of Americans was how medicated they all are. Um, you know, every, like I would say, eighty percent of people were either on antidepressants or taking Adderall or taking Ambien to help them sleep, or you know, were far, like they were all walking pharmacies. And, I'd, and honestly, I've been out of the UK for a long time, so I don't know if that's the same in, in the modern workplace, but the number of people taking amphetamines and um, stimulants to try and just cope with the daily grind. And I was thinking, well, the, the, we've lost our sense of balance here. We've lost our sense of, of equilibrium and we've lost our sense of how to recharge the batteries. We're just chemically inducing performance. And I'm not sure that that's the right way to go about it from a sustainable perspective. Now, these are people in their 20s who are highly medicated, 20s and 30s who are highly medicated. Um, when... In reality, surely life has more to offer than than that. Yeah, I've actually seen that a lot. And I've seen people, let's say they're on something for to keep them awake or they're on something else to help them sleep. They're on something else because of the medications that they're taking that's probably causing hypertension. So they're on something else then for the hypertension that the other medication is causing. And it's like this massive chain effect of I'm taking this medication for this but it has this side effect. So I'm taking another medication to cancel out that side effect. But taking the combination of these two means that I'm at a higher risk of this. So I'm taking another medication just so that doesn't happen. And it's like, you're taking this massive chemical cocktail and some of them, uh, some of these pharmaceuticals, uh, they, if you read the leaflet, um, it says the mechanism of action is unknown. 
So you, yes, you're getting your desired effect, but you don't know what's actually happening in the body. How is your body breaking that down? And what are the long-term side effects? So um, I even myself for years, taking ibuprofen even, I've hated taking painkillers. Just, it's just always in the back of my head. I just, I just had this... Um, just inkling that if I'm taking a painkiller, I'm not, I'm, I'm canceling out my pain receptors. So I don't know if I'm actually, let's say you have a headache or you have a, a sore, sore ankle and you're trying to cancel out that pain. But then I'm like, okay, I'm working. What if I have a pain somewhere else that I experienced during the day and it's been dulled by that ibuprofen that I've been taking. Uh, so I've always had that in the back of my head when people are like, oh, are you taking paracetamol or ibuprofen or anything for that pain? I'm like, no, I'd actually rather be more aware of that pain so that I don't exacerbate it. But then there have been times where I've had to take it because I've had, let's say, a lot of inflammations like, OK, I have to take it for that inflammation. But to be aware that, uh, you know, that I'm not uh, that I'm canceling out the pain as well, that I don't overdo it. And uh, I, I, that's always been in the back of my head. But it's probably the same for other people. I know people who get dependent on it then that they, they're like, OK, this is helping me deal with the pain. And if I don't feel a pain, I can work 110 percent. And it's trying to avoid falling into that vicious cycle where you find yourself dependent on painkillers, dependent on stimulants, dependent on sleep aids. And you said something really interesting there, the idea of working at 100 percent. You know, there's there I, I if we step out of you know the corporate workspace for a moment and we look at other examples of high performance, um, let's use for example uh, a runner, or and you could go well you know marathon runners are running at a hundred percent. No, they're not. They only run at about eighty to ninety percent for most of the race, and then they put the hammer down at the last minute. Sprinters are running at a hundred percent for ten seconds, um, so they're not doing it for three and a half years. Um, racing cars. You know they have to pit to be checked over, and they have to they they quite often explode if they're maxing. So they always tell the drivers to back off a little bit. So you've got all these high performance examples where maxing at one hundred percent is not the right answer. But for some reason, as human beings, we believe that high performance is about going at one hundred percent or one hundred and ten percent all the time. And there's some great research from a guy called Brendan Bouchard um, who wrote a, a great book called High Performance Habits, and. Um, I remember listening to one of his podcasts. I was uh, walking around Mexico in, in Mexico City. And he said, you know, the key to sustainable high performance is to work at about 80% consistently. And you'll still outperform everybody who's working at 100% when they burn out. And it stuck with me. And so now one of the activities we do with, with senior leaders is we get them to write down when you're approaching that 80% line on your capacity, what starts to change? Write me a list of what you look like under 80% and what you look like over 80%, up to 100%. So we've got a comparison. We've got like the checklist of, oh, I'm, I'm, I can tick that, 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 and that. Okay, I'm under 80%. Or I'm now ticking this, 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 and this. Or, I'm, over 100, I'm over 100% or I'm maxing out. Because we know from a downtime perspective that if I start to exhibit more than three to five of the things that are on my maxing out list, then I'm going to burn out. So I've got to start changing my behaviors. Also, we can share that with our teams, right? If you see me doing this, 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 and this, you know that I'm under a lot of pressure and it's time for you to have an honest conversation with me. This is the humility of leadership. Sometimes have that honest conversation to say, whoa, Eugene, 
Uh, I could see you're showing some signs of being a little bit overworked. Can we help you? Can we take something off your plate? Is there some prioritization we need to do? Do we need to say no to something just to create that little bit of capacity to bring you down to 80%? Because if we don't, you're going to burn out. Yeah, 100%. I came across, um, I don't know if you know Alex Hermosi as well. Uh, he came. He has the, the game of business. And he said a lot of people are playing the, the game of business. Uh, it's win or lose. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from the aspect of outlasting everyone else, it's a whole different game. Mm-hmm. And that's not about giving it 100%, giving it your all, all the time until you win. Because that's like the end game is winning. But if the end game is outlasting everyone, you're playing the long game. And you're not going to be giving it 100% all the time. Because you're going to be prioritizing your downtime so that you have time to recover so that you can outlast the people who are constantly burning out, trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many. You're exactly right. There's some great research from Simon Sinek as well. Infinite Game is a great book to read. Um, The one I also love is uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits. And it's the game of the 1%. And... Often as leaders, we believe we have to have these sort of transformational moments. We have to step from one layer of capability to the next layer in these leaps. And actually what we want is a consistent 1% improvement because we might get one or two transformative leaps, which take immense effort and planning and change management and all the things that go around that to get that maybe 10%, 20% improvement. But if we consistently go 1%, the compounding interest on those 1% improvements is 37.8x by the end of the year. So if you want big gains, it's about taking small steps. And you know, There's so many cliches, go slow to go fast, small steps, um, journey of a thousand miles, You know, there's all those things, but it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think it's because it's cliched, as you say, all of these different sayings, but everyone says them the whole time, but people overlook them then. It's just like, yeah, yeah, everyone keeps on saying to take small steps, but it's knowing where to start as well. It's it's you can run a hundred miles in the wrong direction, or you can start taking baby steps in the right direction. It's just a matter of being guided in the right direction first. It's take taking a second, I think, for awareness and as you said, purpose as well. You have to get clarity on your purpose before you can find out which direction you should be taking in the first place i think a lot of people when it comes to business they say okay i need to get to the top and they they're like okay what do i need to do i need to get leads i need to get emails i need to get this i need to get revenue and everything but they don't look at their purpose and they don't look at their clarity they don't look at alignment with their own personal values and beliefs Mm -hmm. and they very quickly burn out because they're so caught up in the process they don't know where their process is going. They just know their end game is that they want to win. They want to get lots of money. And uh, it's a very quick way to burn out when that's when that's your end goal. And you're, you're so caught up in the process that you're not actually taking, uh, let's say, a bird's eye view of the whole journey. I, I'm, I'm so in alignment with you that I wrote a book about it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so critical to... Uh, and there's a couple of a couple of stories I can tell you on this one. The, the 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 purpose piece is a huge one. Why are you doing what you're doing, and how does that align with your, as you say, your personal values and your your reason for being on this planet? Because what we find with leaders who are working in friction to their reason for being on the planet is we get what's called cognitive dissonance. It's basically like where your brain is arguing with itself. Um, 
Now, I need to do this because I want to make money and pay my mortgage and feed my family and be successful, but actually I really hate it. Uh, then you get dissonance. And over time, it's kind of like holding a one kilogram weight out in front of you at arm's length for three years, because that's how long most people last in a job. And over and initially holding a one kilogram weight is not that tough. You know, it's only one kilogram. But then after a week, it's painful. After a year, it really is taking a lot of mental energy to hold that 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 one kilogram weight. And after three years, you're exhausted and your shoulder hurts and everything is broken. That's what happens if you're working out of alignment with your purpose. So that, that's the that, that's the the first piece. the The other thing I think is really really interesting to pay attention to is the idea of when you've got your purpose. It's kind of like going into a cityscape. And I, I always have the, the vision of like the Staten Island ferry going across to Manhattan. And you look up and you can see all these skyscrapers in front of you. And you can see so much choice on which skyscraper is the best one. And your job as a leader or an employee, doesn't matter which, is to choose, well, which skyscraper am I going to climb? That's my goal, right? So my goal is to get from hit from the pavement to the penthouse of whichever skyscraper it is. Um, I, I always love to think about this in terms of like, you know, Batman firing a grappling hook up the side of the building and pulling himself in. Because once you've chosen your skyscraper, you've chosen your goal, you're starting at pavement level. You fired your grappling hook. Okay, now we've got a line of sight on where we're going. And all we've got to do is just pull ourselves in piece by piece by piece. And, you know, the old Batman movies where they were climbing up the side of the building and pulling themselves in. It literally is that. We just got to put one foot in front of the other at that point. But you know where you're going. And so many leaders, I think, are like the Staten Island Ferry with no engine, and they're just drifting in the wind and the currents because they haven't chosen where they're going. They haven't chosen which skyscraper they're trying to climb, and so they're just going wherever the conditions take them. And then going, oh, my God, but we need to suddenly be over there, and they've got to put immense energy into moving to get to where they want to be. I'm loving lately, I've hear been hearing a lot of analogies about like Superman, Spider-Man, Batman now and Super Mario when it comes to people talking about burnout and burnout recovery and um and finding their purpose. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good good superhero? I mean, we all want to be one, right? So I think, I think while we've covered a lot here, it all, it keeps coming back to as you said your book and you've wrote, written um is a beat burnout ignite performance and uh, that's right your paced framework. Uh, even just in reading the first chapter about purpose. Uh, I found that you get really in depth and you have done your research on, uh, let's say, how each of these steps are in line with uh, how to overcome burnout and, and and increase performance within the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we spent just under five years doing the research for the book, working with organizations all over the world, interviewing employees, running workshops, reading the feedback surveys. Um, interviewing senior leaders in pre and post program um, debriefs. It was a whole lot of work. And then on top of that, we had a research team that was working alongside me, pulling white papers, Harvard Business Review articles, McKinsey articles, and just like absorbing as much as we possibly could to try and understand why, initially why I burned out. I was like, what are the things that I need to systemize this in, in some way in my brain? But it became more and more. And how do we do something about this to fix to fix it for other teams that are probably possibly going through the same thing. And obviously with, with COVID on top and Ukrainian wars and supply chain challenges and Brexit and all of the things that are happening in the macroeconomic environment, there's a lot of people who are struggling. So I wanted to try and help with that. And so the book really was a, 
it was designed to be a, a very actionable, practical playbook. So yes, we go into deep, um, well, I say deep neuroscience. We try and explain deep neuroscience in a really simple to understand, easy to grasp way. So people can just naturally go, oh, that makes sense to me. I get it. Um, we also talk about impacts and consequences of that particular variable and the five variables that make up the paste framework are essentially like a little graphic equalizer if you're in the negative zone you're heading towards burnout if you're in the positive zone you're heading towards high performance the other thing we very deliberately did was sequenced the chapters so they build momentum and rely on the previous one being completed so the and i don't i i, I I can go through them all if you want, but I'm going to jump straight to the end, which is downtime, because we started there with our, our the, the podcast for today. A lot of people think that if I'm burning out, I need to take a vacation. So I'll just take some downtime and I'll take two weeks off. And the reality is they then come back to work and things are the same. You know, if you're if you go in, if you're standing in a thunderstorm and you go inside and you come out and the thunderstorm is still happening, you're going to get wet again, even if you dried off while you're inside. Same thing happens with downtime. Just because you go on two weeks vacation, if you come back and you are in an environment of work where there is no purpose, where everybody is scarcity driven, where there is no connection to anybody or anything or any plan, where you're a hamster on a wheel doing the same tasks day in, day out, using the same skills, not learning, not growing, not developing, not being challenged, not being curious. All of those things are going to break you just like they did before you went on vacation. So it's like trying to build the roof on a house with a shaky foundation. You've got to fix the foundation and the walls first before you get to downtime. And, and so the book really unpacks all of these concepts in order through lining up purpose, more abundant mindset and what that means in contrast to a scarcity mindset, how to build connection and why those connections are important how to explore and be curious and find and, and, and generate innovation and then how to actually take, recognize and implement downtime in your organization. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that was one when, when you said that, yes, you have to build one on top of the other, uh, especially when it comes to purpose, it always comes back to purpose, alignment, clarity, because and again, because that gives you the direction that you want to take mm -hmm. your business uh, and whether that be, as you said, leaders in, in, in any, let's say seven, 12 figure businesses, or let's say even just CEOs or founders, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of them lack that initial clarity and sure. they feel that they're behind because they look at everyone else in, in with their businesses and they're like, Oh, they're already making money. Um, I'm just, just got to put myself out there and start making money. Or I've, I've got to start putting, and, and I have to start scaling because otherwise I won't be successful in this. But a lot of them start to, doing all of that without first getting that moment of clarity or that moment of purpose. And, and then look, I, I, I admire, I think we should admire those people who have that abundant mindset of, I just need to put myself out there and manifest money. Like, I admire that. That's great. But if you've got a plan on how you're going to do that, then. The, the the likelihood and the chances of success are much higher. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that a lot where people, especially when they're younger as well, when they're more likely to take risks and they just put themselves out there and they, they're like, oh, I'm going to set up a company. I don't even know what it is right now, but I'm going to do it. And and they trial and error, 
they fail a thousand times before they actually figure out what their purpose is. It takes that for some people uh, to to establish their purpose. And But I think for other people, especially when they're working, as you said, in a business as well, um, and they uh, they want to, let's say, not let's say build on their career, build on their professional career. And um, they don't want to um, put their own career at risk by failing on a project or they don't want to disappoint their manager. Uh, does that fall under a purpose that they that they're looking for their clarity? Or do you think that's a scarcity mindset where they're holding themselves back because they're afraid of failure? I think it's I think it sits in a in a in a multitude of zones. Um you know, not knowing your purpose, whether that's why was I put on this planet, uh, what's the purpose of my job, what does our team actually do, or why is our organization or how is our organization making a difference? There's that we have a a model called the purpose pyramid, but essentially it's like you need to understand why you're on the planet before you work out which organization you're going to work for, because otherwise again you go into dissonance. Um, the most common one we see with teams is a lack of clarity around why does this team exist and what does my role do to contribute to this team? That's the kind of the, the gray area in most organizations. And it's kind of like putting 10 people in a rowing boat, giving them different sized oars uh, and telling them just to row without any coordination, clarity or direction. And of course, the boat's going to not be as effective as a team of people with the same oars, with the cocks coordinating them telling them when to pull, telling them when to steer, you know, so we want to make sure the boats go in the same direction. And, you know, I would say 80% of teams that we work with, if you say, what's the purpose of this team? Are you clear on that? They'll go, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then you get them to write it down and stick it on a post-it note and stick it on a, a flip chart. And you see 20 different answers as to what's the purpose of this team. Then you suddenly go, oh, we've got a bit of a clarity problem here. We aren't aligned on what the purpose of this team is. Now, that doesn't sound like a serious thing, right? Well, we said it differently. But if your interpretation of the purpose of the team is different to my interpretation of the purpose of the team, we're going to put our efforts and priorities in different places. So then we could be working, yes, potentially you know, in the same direction, but equally we could be working against each other and creating silos and frustrations and tensions and issues. So there's that piece. Then there's the, the sense of connection. Connection is about essentially trust and vulnerability. So absolutely, I'm not going to put myself out there if I don't trust the people around me because I've got to watch my back because they're trying to get me. And that's the scarcity mindset coming in. It's the fear of being found out or fired um, and because there's not enough resources to go around. And then the final one is taking that risk being curious uh, we have a model a framework in the in the book called the curiosity curve and what we see in organizations with a very low risk appetite is they don't take risks because the consequences are too high but what about the consequences if you actually took a risk and it went really well and most organizations don't look for that they don't they, they always go what if it goes wrong somebody will have to get fired what if it goes right and somebody gets promoted why wouldn't you want that too? Because somebody else is going to try it. Somebody who's not as scared of this risk as you. And they'll get the benefit. So is it worth trying this in a controlled, small, finite environment? Like maybe run a little pilot team or a, a small experiment group or an innovation lab or whatever you want to call it. But having that appetite to try something new is one of the cores to building a high-performance culture. 
Um, you have to have a team of people who are willing to go beyond just dipping their toe in the water, but actually to feel encouraged to jump in and basically learn to swim in the pool to make it work. Uh, and to know that there's a lifeguard there, should things go wrong, somebody's going to scoop them out, dry them off, show them how to do it again and throw them back in and let them have another go until they work it out You know, in a safe environment. It's almost like you know, knowing you can jump out the plane, knowing the parachute's going to open or that there's a safety net at the bottom. And that safety net has to be, this isn't going to be a career ender for you. We want you to go and try some stuff. We want you to explore. Because, I mean, let me ask you a question, Eugene. When in your dating history, how did you learn the people you didn't want to date? By making mistakes, right? Yeah, trial and error. <laughs> yeah, trial and error. So we scrape, we graze our knees a few times, we get a couple of broken hearts and we refine our approach until we find somebody we do want to be with for the rest of our lives or for that next chapter of our life, depending on what your preferences are. But you learn by making mistakes. But in the corporate world, we don't allow people to make mistakes. So how are we going to allow them to learn and how are they going to get closer to finding the perfect outcome situation? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's heaps and heaps and heaps in there. Um, the, the, the core, I guess, idea of all of these things is understand how it works and then we'll show you how you can do something about it. So if someone wanted to get started today, as you said, with your um, beating burnout in like performance, um, what would be the first step that you would want them, let's say before they take on the PACE framework, what would be the first step that you want them to approach their teams with today um, to um, maybe assess where they are and uh, maybe start promoting maybe the first, maybe as we said to James Clear, the 1%, what would be the first baby step in the right direction for that team? So we're talking about for the leader themselves or for their team? Uh, maybe we can start with the leader themselves because I I think it starts with that awareness first before they can approach the team. Mm. So again, one of the things we see is that um, a lot a lot of leaders are very self aware, but um, many are not. And if you are struggling right now with feeling exhausted, burned out, overwhelmed, all those symptoms. I would start with looking at your personal purpose. So I would go, actually, am I in alignment with this career I find myself in? Because it's never too late to change. And actually, you'll probably be happier if you do. So there's in chapter one of the book, we have what's called, well, in every chapter, there's what's called action tips. And chapter one has, um, how do I find my personal purpose? But the, the very brief summary version of this is looking back through your life and identifying what were the significantly traumatic experiences that shaped me or the positive examples that, of people and behaviors that shaped me that made me the person I am today. So it could be, for example, you know, you grew up super poor, you could never go out to a restaurant. Uh, so you dreamed of growing up and running a restaurant um, because then you could give other people the opportunities and it's a really affordable restaurant with great quality food at, at value prices. So your reason for doing your job is based on your personal purpose to help people to have cost-effective meals. So it's going through that exercise of what were those big traumas that impact and traumas people think about like losing an arm or losing a parent. Yes, they are traumas equally. It could be like, we never had this and I wanted to change that when I grew up. So I would start there. If you're thinking about how do we start to move the dial with a team, I would just walk in one day and say, team, I would like us to all write down why we think this team exists and what value we create. And then let's have a discussion together 
about are we aligned on that? Is that does everybody have similar enough answers that we realize that we're actually pulling in the same direction? Or have we got some disparities that we can clear up for people? And then once we've got those, I would move into the and how do each of your roles contribute to what this team exists for? So I would probably start with that. I, I always start with purpose because it's the most important thing to get right first. You've got to choose your skyscraper before you start climbing it. Brilliant, brilliant. So if anyone wants to hear more about um, your book, Beat Perform, Beat, ah, not Beat Performance, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance, uh, I know that you have um, the first chapter uh, available at the moment. Um, but uh, when, when, when is the release date for the, the book itself? So the full book is going to be released on May the 23rd. Um, we're giving away the first chapter because we want to share this with as many, as many people as possible. So we're giving it away. You can access it um, at uh, my my uh, website, jimmyburrows.com, and there's a link to the book on the top menu bar. And maybe if you'll be kind enough, to Eugene, to pop it in the show notes, we can also just link directly from the show notes so people can, can grab it. And, and please, yeah, download it, enjoy it, and it gets you onto the wait list for the the release day as well so you'll be notified when that happens that's brilliant jimmy thank you again thank you so much most welcome thank you so much for the opportunity i hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did could you take a moment to leave a five-star rating on spotify because it really helps to improve the rating of the show so that it's more easily found by others who might enjoy the show just as much as you And maybe take a moment to share with family, friends, or a loved one. Because what better way to help break the stigma around mental health than to have that conversation with those closest to us. As always, reach out to me at giveyourselfsomeleeway.com on social media, eugene.leeway, or shoot me an email, eugene at leeway.ie, because Even though Give Yourself Some Leeway is like an outlet for me, I also want to give the highest value to you, my listeners. So I really depend on your feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more about. So until I hear from you, take care of yourself. Maybe have a glass of water, crack a smile, and think of a way to prioritize your own self-care. So until next time, Take care.